It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. Tell me something good. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to yet another edition of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast based on the book, Confessions of the Serial Salesman, the 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders. Hardcover, paperback, even audiobook, and already to number 90. Somebody wrote Javon Curse. Did Ken Levicka, your producer, do that? Yes, he did. Because I, I was, go with that, though. That's quality gator. I, I was texting. That's a quality gator. <laughs> I, I was texting with Javon on Saturday. He was texting me during the Titans game. For real? Yeah, because he's a friend of mine, and for 20 years, I, I falsely accused that. them of a forward lateral. <laughs> and in fact, that was a legal lateral. I just admitted it on Saturday that I had made a mistake. So, uh, Stevie, Happy New Year to you. And, and to you, so one question I have to ask you is, yes. what, what is the etiquette on how long you can um, say Happy New Year? To one people? week. One is week. it one week? When you, get, when you get to the 7th, that's it. You cannot on the 8th. If you say Happy so New Year. So we could debate this for 30 minutes if we want, because no. I believe it's the month of January. No, you can't, no, you can't do that. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You say Happy New Year until the 7th. On the 8th, you got to move on with your life. You uh, if I have not life. seen you and I see you January 15th, I am saying Happy New Year. Well, I'm ignoring you. How about that? Introduce <laughs> us, please. Do. Introduce I'm us so to your guest, today. who you describe as a spiritual warrior, as well as an She's author. She's amazing. She, uh, so we're very blessed to have Susie Levan here. Uh, we were just talking. We know each other for years. We have always had this kinship, if you will, mm-hmm. high-fiving. She's a serial entrepreneur. She used to produce a Balance magazine. I don't know if you remember Balance magazine. Mm-hmm. It was a great offering um, but she has a wild story, which she's going to share with us today. She wrote a book called Getting to Forgiveness. She's a great friend, a great person, and I'm super, super excited you're here. And so, it's your 90th show. And it's my 90th show. How about that? So you're, you're 90? Uh, no. You're 90th. Well, I'm 90. <laughs> I had a birthday, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Susie, if you would be so kind, get a little closer to the microphone. There you go. Right, there you right, go. Right into this. You can adjust that mic if you like, right in the middle there. Um, it says you're not just a spiritual warrior and an author, but a philanthropist, community leader, certified non-denominational pastor, counselor, but also this part, this one, this is the one that uh, intrigues me, hypnotherapist. Yes. Hi- hypnotherapist. Yes. You, you hypnotize people into altering their behavior. Absolutely. For example, well, quitting smoking. Quitting smoking, mm-hmm. quitting drinking, yep. uh, learning how to relax, becoming more uh, less stressed. Am I speaking loud enough? Need loud. I'm going to get you to point the microphones. You know, go ahead and do, you can physically manipulate it. There you go. You want me, is that, that, is that, that better? 25,000 times we better. Yes, yeah, so I mean, hip, hypnosis can work for many, many, many different things. Okay. You know, how you came to do that in your life is really the story of, of why we're here today. Yes. You know, it's, so... Without hypnosis, by the way, I would have never healed. Which is why I want this story to be told, because it's entrepreneurial spirit. She's in a place. Well, I'm going to let you tell it. By all means. Just rock and roll. Just jump in. Okay. So December 21st, 1988. It's a day I'll never forget. It's a day that changed my life, upended my life forever. It turned out that it was the day that people that had come into our home 
three bank robbers, if you will, um, who decided to deliver a plant. And that plant was a, a, a beautiful poinsettia. My housekeeper and my daughter, who was seven years old, were home. We were not home. And now they've turned off the alarm, and they have allowed these people to deliver the plant. And guess what? There were three gunmen coming into our home. <laughs> you know, you hear this stuff on TV or you see it on TV. You see it in movies when it happens to someone you know, and it happens so <laughs> easily, sort of. So easily. And then, by the way, it was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And, you know, everybody gets floral deliveries during the holidays or some sort of a delivery, right? So now, it's important to know that you were married to a banker. I had just married this banker 90 days earlier in September. And this is now December. Mm-hmm. President and CEO of a major bank down Correct. Here, which and you can say your na- his name if it, you want. And, well, it was, you know, bank, right. it was bank Atlantic. Bank Atlantic. It was go. Bank Atlantic. Right. And uh, we had no idea that they were, in fact, casing different homes uh, related to bankers because this was their MO. Take somebody, take them for ransom, kidnap them, and, in fact, wow. rob the bank. And so we right now, here, <laughs> right here, is, it was, well, actually it was Miami okay. and, uh, which is where we were living. And at the time, uh, we get home about midnight and, uh, or it was 10 or 10 or 11 o'clock and they, and, and they are now literally in our lobby, in our, in our foyer. They, the lights were out, you know, there was, everything was pitch black. I, I had this ominous feeling something wasn't right from mm-hmm. the minute I spoke to my housekeeper at six o'clock in the afternoon because she was just very curt and in fact told me my daughter was sleeping. So I couldn't even speak to my daughter to, for her to tell me these men were in our home. But I knew something wasn't right. So having driven up into the driveway, I say to my husband, something's not right. The, the lights are not on, the outdoor lights are not on, there are no lights in the house. This is not normally how our, li- our house is. And he, he kept saying to me, honey, stop worrying, everything is fine, everything is fine. This is just a woman's intuition, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But all the while I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So we now open the door, and of course, there they are. They proceed to take our, our rings, our watches, our everything out of my purse, uh, even though they say they're not going to hurt us, and then they provide uh, a big suitcase, and they say, in the morning, you're going to fill up the suitcase. We're only here to rob the bank. So it kind of gives you kind of like, okay, these are not home invaders. and they're going to rob the bank. That means they're not going to hurt us, which is what they've told us. So they put us all upstairs. It was a two-story house, and P.S., now in the morning, uh, they ask Alan to go take a shower and shave and get dressed because he's going to the bank to take care of this job. And all the while I'm thinking, well, I'm paying attention to they're wearing red, white, and blue. They're wearing wigs. They're wearing sunglasses. They're wearing truckers' hats. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm trying to understand, you know, obviously what's behind it. Are they left-handed? Are they right-handed? I became a Columbo all of a sudden, sure. paying attention, thinking, well, if the police come, I can tell them all of this. I don't know what, where that came from. Um, of course, we didn't sleep all night, and now they're asking us to get dressed. It's 5 o'clock in the morning, and now I'm dressed, my daughter's dressed, and they take, bring us downstairs, and they make me turn the car around that we're in, Mind you, in those days, it's 1988, mm-hmm. the phone is hanging in the car. Right. So I remember. You remember those days? Mm-hmm. P.S., they make me get in the car, turn the car around so that the trunk is facing the, the door. Right. I'm, so, I'm like shaking because I want to pick up that phone so bad and dial 911. 
But I'm thinking if I even touch that phone, they're going to shoot us. Mm -hmm. These are bad guys. Mm -hmm. You could just see it in in their in their face. Even though you couldn't see their face, you could feel it. Mm -hmm. So of course I did not do that. And so the fellow says, "Bring your daughter down, and um, you're going to get in the car." And I'm thinking, "Get in the car? I don't understand. You're going to rob the bank." No, get in the car. So I opened the back door. It was a four door sedan. They said, "No, you're not going in the in the car. You're going in the trunk." Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in the trunk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have. have. You really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It's oh a scary god. place. To oh. Be. It's a they scary all place. they all now have a safety release they that do. glows in the dark as a result but yeah in those no days kidding. in those days they didn't they, look at you wow yeah. and this was a mercedes trunk so this was solid and so we're now in fetal position they take off i ended up telling my daughter we're playing hide and go seek because i'm doing everything i can she's seven right she's seven mm-hmm. i'm trying not to be emotional i'm doing everything i can not to cry not to shake not to scream not to, not to feel scared even though all the while i am dying inside crying a wreck and uh, out of the blue what comes to me she says mommy what are we doing and I said oh we're playing hide and go seek and you're going to be with mommy now I'm thinking to myself where the heck did that come from Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I bought it and she bought it and I accepted it and that kept her calm Mm -hmm. my whole entire goal was not to traumatize this child correct so I'm now in the trunk we are now driving now, in the trunk, which I did not realize or know, there's a little bit of air coming from underneath as they're driving. And there's also when they break, the red lights come on. Right. Because it's pitch black otherwise. So they're driving and 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 they're driving. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, they're going to leave us to die in the Everglades. This is going to be our coffin. And I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. So during the entire time they're driving, in order to really calm myself and try and help out whatever my daughter was feeling I am singing her songs twinkle twinkle little star you are my sunshine you know anything I could think of wow, wow. and I'm telling her little stories and I have no idea that she's even listening but it's keeping me calm mm-hmm. and I know that she is not crying and she's not being affected some point in time as I said earlier the car stops a, mo- a woman voice comes from a van and they start uh, and then keep going. And I guess she might have told them where to go, what to do. I don't know. This woman, by the way, had also spoken to the mastermind that morning on the telephone. Uh, so I overheard her, her voice off the, uh, off the wig. So they, they drive and drive and drive. Finally, they stop. They knock on the, on the back of the trunk and they say, shut up, stop talking. And they lock the car and they leave. I could hear that they stopped, the car stopped moving. Mm -hmm. Now, you know when children are inside of a car for more than a half an hour in Florida, Mm -hmm. they uh, they die. We're in a trunk, and we're not moving. So the temperature is going higher and higher and higher. And more than that, I'm thinking we are going to asphyxiate. There is no oxygen now coming from underneath. So what do I do? I say to my daughter, Laura, and I say, how about we take a nap? Mommy really did not sleep last night. I'm thinking if we're going to die, let's die taking our last breath while we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. That's what's coming in my head. So all wow. so I, you know, you don't even understand what you're thinking or how you are resolving what the issue that you're dealing with at that very moment. Um, 
But she bought that too, and she said, okay, Mommy, I'm really tired. And all of a sudden, I hear her breathing change a little bit, knowing that she's now closed her eyes and napping. With that, I start, my eyes are closed as well, and I start praying the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Did you know that before by word? I mean, of course. And I shall dwell in the house wow. of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. And then I say, please, God, take me. My daughter does not deserve to die this way. And I'm not kidding you. It was like four million miles a minute. My, my soul, my spirit releases through the top of my head and I am now traveling in a tunnel of light a million miles a minute I can see that I'm in a tunnel of light with just beautiful lights surrounding me my eyes are closed mind you yet I could see through my eyelids at some point in time I stop and I and I look around again my eyes are closed but I look around and what do I see I see these beautiful spirits these beings of light and they're telling me, it's all okay. You are on the other side because I'm thinking to myself, where am I? They're literally sending me telepathic messages that I could hear. They said, no, you're not dead. You are here with us. It feels like you're in an embryo in, in your mother's womb. It's so peaceful. It's so loving. You feel the energy. It's so amazingly real. Now, mind you, I here I am a a business person, mm -hmm. left brain, 16 years in a, in a corporation, a New York stock-based company. I was chief operating officer. I never heard of a near-death experience. I never <laughs> knew anything about anything like this. I had known this prayer because I had gone to many funerals, and that is a funeral, a prayer that they say at these funerals. And for whatever reason, it was so vivid inside me that it just came out the way it did. Wow. Where? You know, you just, you, you, I can't question the how or why or, or why that prayer, but it is a very powerful prayer. So now, all of a sudden, I'm feeling this energy to my right. I, I turn over and turn to my right, and there's this humongous being, and he tells me he is Archangel Michael, and that he's been with me for many lifetimes, and he's watching over me and protecting me. Now, what? <laughs> what? Like, what? Huh? <laughs> So oh, you can't make that up. <laughs> you can't make this up. This is like what? So they said. Uh, so I say, "Where's my daughter?" Again, I'm thinking this. Where's my daughter? Uh, are we dead? No, you're not dead. Look down. And so I literally look down like this. I don't even know where I'm at, but I look down, and I see us in the trunk of the car, in fetal positions, with our eyes closed, as if when I had just left. And they say, "Listen." We're going to show you a life review of what you have been doing up to this point in your life. So a big white screen shows up. And for 38 years, I can see where, what, who, and, and how, I've, what I've done in those 38 years. Who I've hurt, who I've you know, looked at the wrong way, what I said that was good, that was bad. And it was a life review. And it was, I know this is going to sound really weird, but it's, it was an eye-opener. Mm. It really opened up my eyes to who we are as people and human beings and how mean and, and, and horrible we can be, but how wonderful we can also be if you now look at it from that perspective. 
So they then say, you've got a lot of work to do back on earth. You have to teach people how to meditate. You're going to teach people how, you're going to teach women how to be empowered. And you have a lot of work to do. And you're not dead and you're not going to die. Wow. So now, as quickly as I went up there, and I have no idea how much time I spent up there, and having seen my life review, I'm now literally in reverse, now going back the other direction. So the tunnel is now like inversed, and I'm now speeding back in, and all of a sudden, that's what you hear. Now, what is that? Well, it turns out, if, I, if it wasn't enough that I am now taken over to the other side, to this tunnel of light, surrounded by beings of light, had this fab- fabulous Archangel Michael tell me he's been with me, protecting me for all these lifetimes, now the sound is that there's an opening in the trunk of the car above my head the size of a baseball, allowing us to see the sky. Oxygen is literally pouring in. You could see the little sprinkles of the light coming in, this oxygen pouring in, allowing us to survive. Because up to that point, no air. we had no air, mm. no oxygen. And now oxygen is pouring in. So I look up, the clouds are like wisping through. I can see the sky. My daughter, I said to her, mommy was with just with the angels and with God. And she goes, what? I thought we were playing hide and go seek. Mm. As only a seven-year-old would right, say right, because right. she had been sleeping. Totally frame of reference. She had only, she'd been sleeping up to that point and she had no idea. She goes, mommy, wh- did you open that? Did you do that? I said, no, no. So we were given this miracle to keep us alive. What was it? It was an opening the size of a baseball that opened on its own, just boom, from the minute I came back into my physical body. And I didn't do it. She didn't do it. Nobody did it other than it was a miracle that was allowed us to survive. Now, when they take us out of the trunk expecting us to be dead five hours later, mm-hmm. they open the trunk. You hear the cars careening, and, and there's FBI and press and all sorts of people out there. They unlock the trunk. We jump out like a jack-in-the-box. And all the while, they're now closing it, and I am looking for the hole to show my husband. This is why we survived. The hole wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. The opening had closed. Go figure. Now, I know that sounds wacky somehow, but, on this, but this is why I'm still alive and still here and have been able to do so much with my life since then because... Well, it's not like your life, you didn't do a lot before either. Oh, I no. Mean, well, like, I had know, done I a lot. Right. I had done a lot, but, you know, it changed radically in that I never went back to my home where I lived for six years that Alan moved into, okay, for three months. I never went back home. Mm. I never went back to, to work. For my career was literally, I just, I went through post-traumatic stress for two years. Sure. I was a victim and a prisoner mm. in my own home. I suffered from anxiety, depression, fear. I literally had 24-hour Wackenhut guards outside our home. And the only home that I would accept was one that had a huge gate all the way around. Mm. And I had no company, no family, no friends. It was I was in, uh, in a very dark, and I, I call it my dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. no matter how beautiful the gift that I was given from the angels to the you know spirit guides to the the, the, the white screen with with the information that I was given 
unfortunately, I was human, and all of that attacked me. The trauma that I was saving my daughter from is what affected me, and I had to go through all of that and hypnosis, by the way, mm-hmm. without hypnosis to show me what I had been given and to, to and let go of the fear and just be open to whatever was to come and that I was here for a reason and there was a purpose for all of this. It was the hardest thing for me to do to crack myself open because I was stuck in bed for two years. Mm. I wouldn't drive. I wouldn't get out. I wouldn't. I mean, it was terrible. And so for me, I wouldn't change any of this for, for I mean, I would live it again if I had wow, to. really? Because it has changed me in such a way in that I am fearless. I'm not afraid of dying. I know that we are loved and protected always. These are things that I would have never, ever known had I just been in my regular career path, if you will, because I was not into spiritual scenarios or metaphysical things. Or Before, you didn't believe. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, but no. You, oh, no, I was not even a religious Well, the difference person. between experiencing and believing. Some folks believe and they want to believe and other folks experience and then they go, all right, well, I know what I experienced. I know I'm not crazy. So, well, well so that, that's the definition of faith is being able to believe in Without, stuff right. you can't Correct. see. Correct. So did you not have a faith prior? I had a faith, okay. but I never really thought about metaphysics mm-hmm. or spiritual aspects. Supernatural, and you, and paranormal. You wouldn't right. unless something like this And And the happens. fact is no, the word near-death experience in those days didn't even exist. Brian Weiss wrote his book, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, in 1988 when this occurred. So up to that moment in time, there was not a whole lot of that word didn't even exist. So I didn't even know anything about it. So um, Now, have you connected with other people that have had a similar type of experience? Maybe it's talking to them. It's probably very different than talking to us who I can't imagine that. No, no. I mean, maybe you can just from watching movies. Well, no, I can. I mean, you know, I know what I've experienced, but when I tell folks the stories, I think I'm crazy. Right. So, you know, you got to be careful who you choose to share what with, and there are times at which you connect with folks that go, so I'm not the only one. No, you're not the only one. You're not alone. The dude who produces my daily radio show had an out-of-body experience. He and I, um, when we started first working together, really didn't communicate. He wasn't. No, no, no. He produces the radio show daily. Brian. Um, he didn't, he didn't know me. I didn't know him. He didn't necessarily care to know me. And I was talking one day about the commonality of people that I've spoken to that have had out of body experiences, including an ex-girlfriend who described it as seeing themselves as if they were a security camera in the corner of the room, as if they were from that position looking down. And that was the first time he ever spoke to me outside of needing to in the workplace and said, Hey, that, uh, that happened to me. I was 16, was having heart surgery and I saw them operating on me outside. It changes you, but it, does it not provide you comfort? Totally. Uh, I mean, for you and, and for your daughter as a parent, knowing that there's something more to this existence, that there is, as you said, there is another side. There is another side. And, um, you know, it's not something that uh, a lot of us are comfortable with. Of course. And, uh, but yes, in fact, there is a lot of uh, history and, and um, people that have, actually talked about it during surgery mm-hmm. that's when a lot of this happens under anesthesia and that when when they come back they realize i heard everything the doctor said i know what color shoes they were wearing and, and what music they were playing in the in the surgical room etc and you know all of this is for real so what brought you to the point that you wanted to write a book so you know timing is everything and i've been talking about this for the last 30 plus years but my daughter 
who was seven years old at the time, Mm -hmm. passed away a year and a half ago. So she ended up with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She was supposed to be married last year. Mm. And um, so it's been a very difficult ride for the last two and a half years. And I, we were, I was already in, in the process of writing the book. And she, she was my biggest fan. And luckily, she was never traumatized. She lived a full life. And I kind of think, I, I believe that she knew that her life was going to be short. She was always traveling the world. She was always she was always the wildest of all of our five kids, mm. and she was the baby. And um, but she was my biggest fan, and she would always say to me, "Mom, you've got to write the book. You've got to write the book, and please finish the book." Because I'd kind of put it aside when she got ill. And P.S. After she passed, I she came to me a million times in my dreams. She would talk to me in my head, and she would say, "You've." you've got to finish the book. And so the book was really, it has a, an epilogue, which obviously is dedicated to her. Wow. But it was not something that I ever expected. Statistically, less than 1% of the population publishes a book. There's plenty that write, but not that get published. So good for, you know, for sharing this. Uh, tell us about um, the relationship with Gloria Estefan and her doing the foreword. And- well, Gloria and I are both Cuban, born Cuban. Cuban born and uh, grew up in Miami and uh, we have very parallel lives and uh, when she was a teenager she and I would bump into each other where she was fronting different bands in uh, in Miami with 15 and 16 year olds Mm -hmm. and uh, and so we got to know each other and then over the years we've seen each other at different events she was on the cover of balance magazine and uh, I reached out to her when I had written the book and because she had had her own accident that was very life-changing yeah with, she sure did. Right? Yeah. So, and her and her song, Coming Out of the Dark, right, Into the Light. Well, to me, it was very much of what I was went through. Right, you res- that resonated. And told, right. I Boom. mean, I, I would hear that song and I would cry because it was so, what, what I went through. And so when I reached out to her and gave her lots of, you know, information and clearly she read the book, she said, I, I'm, I'm happy to write the, the forward. And that's how really it went. Getting to Forgiveness is the name of the book. And, and what are we forgiving? Nothing. 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 Elaborate, please. Okay, so forgiveness is a very interesting topic. As sure. You, you know, and a of course. Lot of people, and, and forgiveness really is about understanding that everything that happens to you, everything, is something that your soul has decided to, to make happen for you. Huh. Your soul. You, you, you have a soul contract that you choose. That soul contract then takes you to many different places. Some are detours and some are specifically to where you need to be. But in the end, what is there to forgive if, in fact, you're the one that's chosen this journey? Mm. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, you know, there was a... Well, not really, because it's not really self-fulfilling. It's just really accepting the fact that everything that happens to you is for your highest good and that you've chosen it. Determined so, for you. And so there's nothing to, no one to blame. Uh, and yes. you all, and you have to, and look, that's right. And there's no one to blame. So you have to kind of self forgive yourself for feeling the feelings that you have had and forgive others for thinking, you know, who the hell, what the hell, you know, the people that have come into my life, those three guys, I bless them every day. I thank them for what they gave which me. Which is insane. I mean, that's which not is insane. normal. <laughs> but the like fact is that amazing. now that I know right. that the fact that the, if, if in fact that that is the case, which I do know it's to be the, the case. 
What is there to forgive? You know, there was a movie a couple, many, many years ago with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. It was called Defending Your Life. Mm. And basically the move, the premise of the movie is they die and before they go to heaven or hell, they have to defend their life. And there's the, the entire movie is about her def- the white screen. Watching a film. It's, it's the life watch- review. Right. It's the life it, review it, on the white screen. It's a fantastic movie, mm-hmm. but it details. And if you've never seen it, I've never especially seen it. what you told me, it mirrors that. Oh, wow. It was so incredible about it was like a way station that they get stuck at right. where they're and they go back and they show scenes of him when he was nine years old. Defend your life. Defend your life. It was crazy. Susie Wait, Levan. The, the truth is, there it is. The new book, Getting to Forgiveness. Yours by far the most fascinating of anyone who has appeared on this podcast. By far. Thank you for sharing your story and for writing this book and for letting folks know that um, there's more to this existence than what it is you believe to be important. It's not just about the money and the fame and success and the title, and it's a little more to this. So we'll post uh, how to get the book, how to get in touch with you. If somebody wants a conversation with you, for sure, uh, which you're open to, I know that. Of course, and you know, 100% of the proceeds go to nonprofits. Well, that's fantastic. I, I do not make a penny from that. That's this. fantastic. I'm very fortunate that I don't need any Susie money. Susie Levan, President, CEO, Susie Levan Associates, the book, Getting to Forgiveness. Thank you for the time today. My love and Fascinating. Love. The most fascinating. And shout out, by the way, to Archangel Michael who's been with you all these lifetimes and continues uh, to. Amen. is with us today. Your man, Archangel uh, Mike, was with us today. Steve, um, boy, tell, you, tell me something good. Tough, tough to top that, but tell us something good. As I we was just going to say, wrap up number 90. what's good is that we got to spend this time together and share this great story, and I'm just blessed that I have the platform to be able to share it. So I think that's Amen. my good for the day. Get more information about Susie and some of the Reiki healing and meditation. All that stuff from from your social media and from the podcast as well. Deal. It's a great way to start the new year. Yeah, Indeed it is. Amen. For for Steve Nittleberg, Josh Cohen saying thank you for listening. We will catch you next time in the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast. So long, everybody.